0: Well, good evening, and uh, welcome to uh, to Bible study. Could you please open your Bible to John uh, chapter 1? And uh, Last week, Pastor Matthews gave us uh, an introduction study to our series on evangelism, and there were four questions. Uh, What is evangelism? Why is it important? Why don't we evangelize? And how can we improve? Uh, And it is this fourth question that we're going to focus on throughout this series. And the Gospel of John is going to be the training ground to equip us to evangelize. Uh, And in John chapter 1, we're going to determine some biblical principles of evangelism. Now, when I was in Bible college, we did a study through uh, the Gospel of John. And there's a couple of things that I remember. Um, One is actually the emphasis of evangelism in this particular book. That was something that jumped out to me. And there was one particular illustration that is wedged in my mind. And there's not too many illustrations that I remember. Um, And I looked this one up so I could actually quote it accurately. And it went like this. It said, The Dead Sea aptly describes many Christians. The Jordan River empties a steady stream of fresh water into the Dead Sea at an astounding rate, yet the sea is almost solid salt. Nothing can live in it, and no vegetation grows within miles of its shores. In fact, the salt content is so high that it's difficult to swim. Tasting the water of the Dead Sea burns the tongue for several minutes. Drinking it can be deadly. How does the fresh water that flows into the lake become so deadly? The answer, of course, is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. Christians sometimes become spiritually poisoned, dry, and dead, because although they take in the word, they never give it out. If we have no outlet for evangelism, we become dead as the Dead Sea. And uh, that was an illustration that has stuck uh, in my mind. Okay, We need an inlet and an outlet, okay? a healthy Thriving Christian must be evangelizing. And God willing, we're going to be equipped to have these outlets in our life, which are vital for spiritual health and vitality. So when we think of evangelism, it isn't just for the unsaved. Of course, it's for them primarily, but it's also vital for us as Christians. So with that said, uh, let's read from John chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 9. Is going to be our focus this evening as we start to lay down some biblical principles which will form the foundation of our evangelizing so John chapter 1 and we'll read from verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to understand it, and help us to appropriate it in our lives. Lord, convince us of the importance of evangelizing, and equip us to do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if we were to conduct a survey uh, asking the question, What's the world's greatest need?, uh, we would get varying answers depending on where the survey was taken and who was involved in the survey. But there would be some predictable replies. You know, some would say we need to end world hunger, okay, starvation is a terrible problem. Others would say education is the greatest need, arguing that it's lack of information that leads to most of the world's problems. Some would suggest world peace, no more wars. No doubt others would suggest something environmental, like the end of pollution, and perhaps a raising poverty would be suggested. If people had more money, it would change the quality of their life and fix a lot of their issues. Now, it's true these are all legitimate concerns, but according to the Bible, these issues don't constitute the greatest need of the world. Okay, The Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the greatest need. Okay, John 20, verse 31. Okay, This functions like a thesis statement for this book. It reveals the goal. It reveals the purpose of this particular Gospel. Okay, and it says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So this is what, excuse me, this is what this gospel is all about. It's written that people might believe. It's written that people might come to Christ, receive life. This is man's greatest need. And what John does throughout the Gospel is he presents numerous witnesses to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of mankind. And he brings together a very impressive catalogue of witnesses. Now this concept of witnesses is seen first of all in our text. In verses 7 and 8 we see it three times. And the word translated witness is actually a legal term. And it means to testify or to give evidence. And witnesses are integral in establishing the truth of a claim. Now, we understand the importance of witnesses to establish credibility. And when there are credible witnesses that testify to an event, that is accepted as true. That's how our whole legal system works. And John's gospel presents us with many witnesses. As one commentator said, John is insistent that there is good evidence for the things he sets down. And there are at least eight witnesses that John presents to verify that Jesus is God and the Savior of the world. Okay, the first witness is God the Father. John eight eighteen b says, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. The second witness is God the Son john eight fourteen Jesus answered and said unto them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. The third witness is God the spirit okay, john fifteen twenty six but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The fourth witness is Jesus' miraculous works. Okay, John 10.25b says, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Okay, so Jesus' miracles are proof of his deity. The fifth witness is the scriptures. Okay, John five. 39 says search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. Okay so this is speaking of the old testament it's all about Jesus okay it points to him. The sixth witness are the disciples. John 15:27 and ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. The seventh witness is John the Baptist. He's the prophesied forerunner. He's preparing the way for Messiah. And we read of him in our text, John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Then the eighth witness is the men and women who encountered Jesus. And one such example is the Samaritan woman. Okay, John four thirty nine, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Okay, so John presents these eight witnesses in his gospel, so that those who read it might be convinced and believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Saviour from sin. That that's the intention of this book. But it also reveals another key witness, and it's found in John 17. This is the high priestly prayer, and Jesus says in verse 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Okay, so you and I, we are sent by Jesus to be his witnesses. Okay, the work of witnessing, which was first entrusted to the disciples, now falls on us. We have a job to do. Okay, we are to be witnesses to the world. And John the Baptist's role as a witness, as recorded in John 1, has much to teach us about our role as a witness. And what I like to do is determine some biblical principles as found in our text okay, to help us be a faithful witness for Christ. We're going to consider four principles tonight. The first is this. We are sent to witness. Okay, We are sent to witness. In verse 6, we're introduced to John. Okay, it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, This is not John the Apostle. Okay, he's the author of this gospel. It's introducing John the Baptist. Now it's interesting that this is the only gospel where he's referred to as John without the additional description such as Baptist. And it seems that this is done because this gospel never mentions by name the other John in Jesus circles, okay, John the Apostle, and his name's not mentioned because he's the author of this book. Okay? So he seems to refer to himself indirectly. Now, John the Baptist is a monumental figure in his own right. And I think he's probably someone who doesn't receive the attention or the accolades compared to others. Now, not that this would worry him, uh, but it's interesting that he isn't spoken about all that frequently considering the importance of his ministry and also considering what Jesus said about him. Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest born of women. Okay, that, That's quite The declaration. So, who is John the Baptist? Well, he is the forerunner of Christ. He was the one who prepared the way for the coming Messiah. In that particular time, there would be heralds who would go ahead of the king and he would let people know that the king was coming. Get ready, the king is coming. And he would also remove any potential obstacles on the king's route. And this was the function of John. Okay, he's prophesied in the Old Testament. One place is Malachi 3.1, which says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Okay, That is the role of John. Now we're told in the text that John was sent from God. Okay, he had been entrusted with a particular mission to fulfill, and that was to be a witness. Okay, That's the job of description and the fact that he's referred to as one sent by God displaces him in the same category as Moses and the prophets of old because they were referred to as those sent by God and John's particular purpose was to be a witness so that people would come to the light the light being Jesus okay and this is the first principle John was sent and so are we Now, I want to very quickly throw out some clarifiers. You and I are not prophets like John. His role was unique. We are not the forerunner to Messiah. And yet, we are sent forth as witnesses. And this is a foundational principle because if you don't believe this, the rest of the principles are pointless. If you're not actually going to do it, if you don't believe you're called to do it, the rest of the principles aren't going to be that helpful. Okay, so it's vital that we get this. It's vital that we believe this that we're burdened about this and that we do this. You and I have been sent forth as witnesses for Christ. This is our job description. This is the mission entrusted to us. Okay, we're commanded in Mark 16:15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Philippians 2, 16, we're exhorted to hold forth the word of life. Romans chapter 10 challenges us. How will they hear if we don't tell them? How will they hear without a preacher? Okay, so we've received our marching orders. And we need to go and tell others. This is where it all starts. Now, we are often very quick uh, to offer many excuses. Pastor listed 10 for us last week. But we need to understand these are not justifiable excuses. We have no legitimate reason for failing to be a witness for Christ. We're actually being unfaithful and we're being disobedient when we fail to share the gospel. I think we need to call it for what it is. We're in sin when we regularly neglect to share Christ with others because that is our main mission. Okay, and this is where we need to start. This is principle number one. We are to be witnesses. we have been sent to share Christ with others. Okay? And this is for all Christians. Okay? And this is actually exciting because if Jesus is the world's greatest need, okay, if this is what they need more than anything else, why wouldn't we be sharing that with everyone? So my friend, we, we have a job to do. We're on a divine mission. We've been sent to be witnesses for Christ. That's the first principle. The second principle is the content of our witness. Okay, The content of our witness. And in order to be an effective witness, it's vital that we understand what we're meant to be sharing with others. Okay, if we have no idea about what we're meant to say... That's going to hinder, first of all, our enthusiasm. Because we're like, well, I've got no idea what to say, so I'm going to be hesitant to talk. And it will also hinder our effectiveness as witnesses. Fortunately, from the example of John, we see very clearly what is meant to make up the content of our witness. Notice verse 7. It says, "...the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light." So the content of John's witness was the light, and we know that to be Jesus. So Jesus was the central theme and focus. And this is what the Christian witness is about first and foremost. Now, sure, it may not be the only thing that we talk about, but if it isn't the main thing, then what we're doing isn't evangelizing. Okay, if you don't talk about Christ, you're not evangelizing. Okay, merely talking to the unsaved world about work, weather, world events, or the weekend isn't evangelizing. Okay, there may be a useful bridge to get to Christ and effective topics for building relationships, but if we don't get to Jesus, we aren't evangelizing. Okay, we're not fulfilling the mission by merely talking with the unsaved. Now, I'm not suggesting that every conversation has to be about Christ and the cross But for it to be witnessing, for it to be evangelizing, the content needs to be Christ-centered. And when we think about that, that shouldn't shock us, because salvation is all about Jesus. Without him, there's no gospel. He is the only way through which one can be saved, John 14.6. There is no salvation in any other name, Acts 4.12. And verse 9 refers to Jesus as the true light. Okay, There will be other lights presented by other people. Okay, other persons, other objects, but only Jesus is the true light. And hence it's very logical that Jesus is to be the central theme and main component of our witnessing conversations. Now Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. He said, we're meant to talk to people, about the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell them he is the Son of God and that he has come into this world in order to save men and women. We're meant to tell men exactly why the world is as it is. We're meant to tell them about sin and the human heart and that nobody and nothing can deal with it save the Son of God. We are very ready to talk about our doctors and to praise the man who cured us when so many failed. We talk about some business which is better than others or about films and plays and actors and actresses and a thousand and one other things. We are always glorifying people. The world is full of it. And the Christian is meant to be praising and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is to form the content of our witness. And when we're having conversations with people, we can be thinking to ourselves and praying silently, how can I get this to Jesus? And you can be quite creative. But you need to get to him for it to be evangelism. If Jesus is not mentioned, it doesn't fit into this category of witnessing. Now, two practical points that flow out of this second principle. Number one. You don't need to know everything there is to know about the Bible and Christianity to be effective in evangelizing. Okay, I know that's quite a lengthy point, but I think it's important because often we can be crippled with self-doubt. I don't know if you've experienced this before. I have. Okay, what if they have a question that I can't answer? Okay, so I clam up and become cowardly because I fear I won't be able to answer the question. And truth be told, when this happens to me, it's a form of the ugly original sin, pride. Okay, I'm like, what if I can't answer? That's going to look bad on me, which is pride. But here's the thing. We don't need to have all of the answers. And there will always be questions that we can't answer because we're not an infinite source of wisdom. Now, sure, that doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to develop answers for commonly asked questions or objections. We should do that. But here's the thing often people pose a lot of questions because they're trying to shut you down and stop you from getting to the main point so we need to be careful to not get caught up in the more trivial matters because that will prevent us from getting to christ so practically speaking someone poses you a question and it's designed to stop you in your tracks okay acknowledge the question and say i don't have an answer but i'm happy to research it and i'll get you an answer And then take it straight back to Christ. Okay, don't allow the question to sidetrack your conversation. Okay, and this should give us confidence because we need to know about Jesus and the gospel. Okay, that's the primary content that we need to share. And I'm confident that people here know about Jesus and the gospel. Okay, so you don't have to be an expert in apologetics. Okay, you you don't need a, a bachelor in evangelizing. Okay, you need to know about Jesus. You need to know about the gospel. Okay, we need to point people to Christ. That's the content of true evangelizing. Okay, and the second practical point that comes out of this second principle is witnessing means we need to speak. Okay, we need to speak. For John to bear witness of the light, it required him to open his mouth. He couldn't testify silently. Okay, and this is true for us. To evangelize, we need to speak to others. Okay, sometimes we can think that our life, our example, our character is enough. And although that is integral, it isn't enough. Okay, living the Christian faith is vital, but in of itself, that's not witnessing. Okay, one writer refers to you know, what we call our testimony, how we're living as pre-evangelism. And I think that's helpful. So living the faith is a most essential basis for any effective witness, because if we don't live what we profess, the profession will be discredited. Yet living the faith is not in of itself witnessing, because we need to speak. Okay, we need to speak about Jesus because what does Romans 10 tell us? Faith cometh by hearing. Okay? For someone to hear, we need to speak. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. So we cannot be silent in our attempts to evangelize. It demands that we speak about Jesus Christ. So he's to form the content of our witness. The third principle is the manner of our witness, the manner of our witness. The next principle that we learn from John is found in verse 8, and it says, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, John the Baptist was quite the impressive figure. He was gifted. He had a following. His ministry was successful. And yet, he was always very careful to ensure that Christ was the center of attention, not him. He knew that he was not the light. He knew that he was not the Savior. And this comes out very clearly later in the chapter. Some priests and Levites come to assess John's ministry, and they ask, Who art thou? And they seem to be investigating whether he's Messiah. And, and this is something denied emphatically. Verse 20, he says, I am not the Christ. And then in verses 26 and 27, he speaks of Jesus. Okay, this is where he shines the spotlight on Christ. And this particular attitude is exemplified later on in John's ministry. It's recorded in chapter 3. Okay, John's disciples are jealous about Jesus' ministry. Okay, nothing like ministerial rivalry and envy. And John tells them, okay, this is what he says. He must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, That was his attitude. Okay, for John, it was all about Christ. The spotlight needed to be on Christ, not on John. And this was the manner in which he witnessed. Now, there is some debate as to why this needed to be included okay, right here. But it does seem that such was the influence of John and his ministry that this inclusion was required. And it is interesting that in Acts 19, in Ephesus, the baptism of John is still referenced. And the author of this gospel, John the Apostle, tradition tells us he was a pastor at Ephesus. So perhaps this was included because he realized there were still the the disciples of John. And and there was this danger that they would idolize or, or lift up John. And hence he wanted to make it very clear here that John was a witness to the light. He was not the light. Okay, that is Christ. And that could explain its inclusion. But even if we cannot be certain of why it was included, it's clear that it's instructive in governing the manner in which we witness. Because this reminds us that we're not to be self-focused in how we evangelize. Okay, the spotlight is not to be on us. And we can very, okay, and sorry, and we can subtly succumb to drawing attention to ourselves when we seek to share the gospel. And we can do this primarily in how we use our personal testimony. And one writer explains this issue well. He says this again, it's, it's lengthy, but it's in your outline. He says, when many Christians give their witness, they talk about themselves. This is why we speak of giving our testimonies. That is, telling people about our conversions and how Christ has helped us. There certainly is a place for testimonies, but they should never form the heart of our witness. I remember seeing an ad in a secular news magazine that featured a handsome, smiling young man. It began by talking about his previous problems. He had been into drugs and had been lost and depressed, but now he was clean and fulfilled. The ad was like many Christian testimonies, except that it was on behalf of one of the more bizarre cults spreading today. Oh, it is true that cults can help a person get off drugs, but that does not make their beliefs true. So it is with faith in Christ. Its usefulness does not prove that it is true. Moreover, it is easy for people to brush testimonies aside saying, I'm glad it worked for him or her, but that has no relevance to me. Our witness must center not on our experience, but on the facts of Christ coming to this world. Okay, So understand it's not wrong to share your testimony, but there are dangers if we're not careful, especially if we don't get to the facts about Christ and the gospel. Okay, our testimonies are to function as a bridge to get us to Christ. We could say our testimony is an entree, it's not the main meal, it's the supporting actor, not the star of the show. And it can be very easy to become self-focused as we strive to witness. And whether intentionally or unintentionally, we end up becoming the hero of the story. And that's not evangelism. As one writer put it, whenever a Christian layman, minister, writer, teacher, or whoever it might be, gets to thinking that there is something important about him, he or she will always cease to be effective as Christ's witness. So we need to guard against this as we seek to share the gospel. We need to get to Christ, not merely share our personal testimony. And be careful of the subtle trap of becoming the hero of the story. Making it all about me, me, me. Okay, we must never permit people to glorify us for what God has done in our lives. We aren't to be the centre of attention. Why? Well, because we can't save anyone. Okay, only Christ can do that, and hence our witness must centre not on our experience but on the facts of Christ coming to this world. This needs to govern the manner of our witness. And the fourth and final principle is the gold of our witness. Okay, the goal of our witness. Okay, what are we trying to achieve through evangelism? Okay, understanding the goal and purpose is vital in just about every endeavor of life. Okay, this gives clarity about what we're trying to achieve. Okay, and this is true with witnessing. Okay, the goal for John is recorded in verse 7. It says that all men through him might believe. Okay, so the goal is for people to come to Christ as Savior. Okay, that, that's the endeavor of witnessing, for people to be converted. Now it's true, and this will come out very clearly in the theology of the gospel when we get to that in John 3. We don't possess the power to save people. Okay, our job isn't to save. Our job is to point people to the Savior. Okay, and that's very liberating. Okay, the results are not up to you. They're not up to me. But nevertheless, it is imperative that we remember the goal. We want people to believe. Witnessing is not just some academic issue. We're not merely trying to make a point. We're not trying to prove that we're smart or anything like that. But we want people to believe and come to Christ as Savior. That's the goal. And if we don't keep this in mind, it, it can be very easy to become robotic in our witnessing. Okay, and this is what I mean. We, we can develop what we believe is a well thought out approach, and we can just fire away like a machine gun, it's like bang, 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 bang. But we, we never we never press people. We don't look for responses. We don't seek to persuade or win people over. And what can happen? It, it can become a tick the box exercise. So okay, I, I need to, you know, dump my rapid fire gospel presentation on X amount of people this month, and and I've done my job. Okay, I'm doing well. And again, one writer summarized this point quite well. He said, Our goal is for others to believe through our witness. It's possible for a person to become so mechanical in his witness that he can go through all the motions of witnessing without actually looking and praying for the response to Christ in faith by the other person. If we could remember this, we would find witnessing exciting and we would learn that winning the argument often becomes far less important than winning the person to the Lord. Okay, so so this is the goal. And that needs to govern our approach. We need to graciously challenge people to make a decision because we need to remember one cannot be neutral with Jesus. Okay, people need to understand that. There's only two options you accept Christ or you reject him. There's no third option. So that needs to be clear in our presentation. And we also need to pray fervently, both before and after, desiring that people would respond to it. Because the goal is for people to embrace Christ. The greatest need of the world, as I've argued, is to embrace Christ, is to embrace the true light. And this needs to be the goal as we seek to witness for Christ in this world. So there are, are the four principles found in our text. And may we seek to implement them this week. Okay, The point of okay, giving these principles is to help you to evangelize. Okay, The world's greatest need is Christ. And you and I, we have been entrusted to be witnesses for him. And may we be praying for opportunities to witness. We'd be brave enough to pray that prayer. Lord, please give me an opportunity this week to share the gospel. And I'm very confident that God will answer such a prayer. Okay? And may we take the opportunities that arise. And you know, may people see the light of Christ in our lives. And may we shine the light of Christ into the darkness of people's lives. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, I do thank you for uh, the example that we see here of John the Baptist and what it has to teach us. Uh, about evangelism Uh, lord i pray that you would give us opportunities as a church corporately may there be some unsaved folk attend on sunday and our lord i I do pray that you would give us as individuals uh, opportunities uh, to to speak a word for christ please give us the the, the courage uh, to to take it and our lord please help us uh, to to be burdened uh, for the lost we ask this in jesus name Amen.